Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Hello. Hello. How are you? Today is so beautiful. It's, I cannot wait to get on. I like literally it's uh, February and I have all my, my Berkies. You do have your Berkies <laughs> on. I thought you'd have your walking shoes on. I, I want to. Oh, no, I can walk in these. I've been back to back today uh-huh. and I really want to just take a minute for a walk. Let's do it. You want to? Yes. Okay. Let's plow through these recordings and get out to the oh, walk. Okay. We are we are self-caring. Self-caring. <laughs> it's too nice. It's February. Yep. This is normally when I want to slip my wrist. It's like... It's <laughs> Jeez so, Louise. I know. That, that got, got dark. dark. That got dark fast. Yeah, let's go for a walk. That's oh. definitely worth your All life. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> a little squirrely. Oh. Uh, so today we are talking to Jamie. She is a fellow survivor. We're going to talk to her about ha- her journey because she declined certain portions of treatment. And this is something that we talk about a lot with our beneficiaries in Faith Through Fire. Mm-hmm. A lot of women will opt out of certain portions of traditional treatment. Totally. And there, I feel like there's two kinds of people. There's the people that are really willing to think about what do I feel like my body needs? Mm-hmm. What do I want and feel good about? And then there's the other camp, which is the camp I fell into, which is like, I don't know. I'll just do you what tell you me? tell yeah. me. <laughs> like, you're the expert. So I am curious. You declined radiation. Totally. Yeah. I didn't. I did everything they told me to up until the point of endocrine therapy. Mm-hmm. I did it for five years. I did mm-hmm. not continue to attend like my oncologist. Right asked me to. Yeah. So those those are like how you and I kind of stepped back. Mm-hmm. And I kind of make the joke, but I feel like cancer treatments like having babies, you just know when you're done. You know what I mean? Like you know when you uh, Do you mean like when you're pregnant or when you're in labor? No, I mean like when you've had the number of children that you want to have. Oh, I see. Like, okay. <laughs> do you know what like, I mean? I was like I got to a point where I was like I'm done being pregnant. Oh, oh no. but you mean like the number of children. The number of children. Yes, yes, like, yes, 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 Gary yes. wanted. Gary and I wanted four <laughs> children. After the third came out, we we're like, nope, we're done. Yeah, you know what I mean. I feel yeah. like cancer treatment's kind of the same way. Like you have a threshold. When you uh-huh. reach that threshold, you're done. Yeah. But we're gonna talk to. <laughs> that uh, was a very funny analogy. But yes. <laughs> was that was that off base? No, I mean it was funny. I say it to I say it to the people all the time that I talk yeah, to. Yeah, you know when you're done. Yeah. I you know I so then I wonder how you would liken that to like the oopsie baby. <laughs> oh, I'm done. Nope, I'm not nope, done. Sorry. Yep. Nope. Well, that that's that's a sometimes that's, that's a, out of your control. That's, I was just gonna say <laughs> yeah. that an oopsie baby would imply that you did not see that coming. Right. Correct. <laughs> so Jamie is a fellow member of Faith Through Fire, happily married, three beautiful spunky kids. They're eleven, nine, and six. So young survivor. Yep. She has a funny farm of animals that keep her busy and sane. She says she is a social worker by trade and a researcher for a major university. She's a retired pro boxer, and she has a huge so fun. I know, and she has a <laughs> huge heart to serve people so first we're going to talk to jamie about her diagnosis how she knew there was a problem and then we're going to talk about the treatments she was offered and which treatments or procedures she opted out of and why and we'll probably finish the discussion you know just regarding gut feelings and medical research when determining your care and maybe some of the integrative practices jamie used during her breast cancer journey but until we do that let's hear from our first sponsor thrive in is a proud sponsor of faith through fire 
Thrivent believes money is a tool and not a goal. The Gateway Financial Group with Thrivent is local to the St. Louis area and can work with you to create a financial strategy that reflects your priorities and helps you protect the things that matter to you, like family and giving back. Please call 314-783-4214 to schedule a free consultation with one of Thrivent's Gateway Financial Advisors. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So you were diagnosed, what, six months ago? Has it been six months? September 2nd. Uh, October, November, December, January, February, March. Uh, February. Well, February, March. Yeah, almost six months. You're I was going to say, yeah. I love that you're counting with your fingers over there. Uh, yeah. Legit, September. I did September. the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so unlike most women, Jamie, you did not feel a lump, right? How did you know there was a problem? Correct. I actually went in to a new GYN for an unrelated problem. And as I was signing out that day, she walked by and said, why don't you go ahead and get a mammogram? You're turning 40 soon. And it was as simple and crazy as that. So I went and did it. And then I went on a vacation and didn't think twice about it. Yeah. So Sarah, Sarah's mentioned this on the podcast before. Her cancerversary is on Valentine's Day, which you just celebrated. Totally. Yeah. Yesterday. Which is what, year five? That was five years. Okay. Yesterday. So Sarah's <laughs> cancerversary is on Valentine's Day. And every once in a while, we'll get somebody that'll get diagnosed on Christmas or mm-hmm. like, you know, it's just like a yeah. major holiday. Jamie, you got diagnosed on your <laughs> birthday my 40th birthday your 40th your 40th birthday on vacation well (laughs) you kind of got diagnosed they called you and said there's a problem right yeah so I actually was on vacation in August came back and then you know how it goes they you start getting all these tests done I had the biopsy the the next the 3d mammogram all that within the days to come and then on my birthday on September 2nd I got the official diagnosis with a crown and a piece of chocolate cake. Yeah. So Jamie has this picture of her with her crown on and her chocolate cake. And I go, that must have been before you got the news. And she goes, oh, no, it was after. And I go, what? I mean, life must go on. She's like, I have a weird sense of humor. I was like, oh, my gosh. So here's my question about this. This happened on your birthday. So is your birthday going to be kind of a weird, bittersweet thing from now on? Listen, so I have to tell you what happened the second half of the day. So we got the diagnosis, we got like the initial plan, all that. And then my girlfriend and I went and got a tattoo because that felt yes. appropriate. That's and how then- you did. Uh, you oh, are a girl hold on. my own heart. I love that. So you found out you had cancer and your girlfriend's like, yeah, we got to go get tatted. Yep, that's exactly what happened. I love it. <laughs> and actually what I got tattooed was, um, it's this symbol, but it means the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's kind of been my guidepost for this whole journey. Nice. But the cool part was after all that, I came home and I was sitting in the driveway watching a carpenter work on something. It was a beautiful day. And I hear a horn and I look up and it's my husband and my three kids sticking out of a Jeep Wrangler. Mm. And he surprised me with a Jeep Wrangler for my 40th birthday. <gasps> and so I started sobbing. It was oh, like the swing of awesome. emotions in, in a you know 12 hour day. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what? That's like one of those Christmas commercials where you yeah. come out, except for Jamie, your commercial would be you have cancer, you got a tattoo, Here's now you a have Jeep. a Jeep. A car. <laughs> Holy cow. Wow. Well, yeah. And the crappy part was like, I couldn't drive it till like two months ago. <laughs> Why? Oh, because it's a stick shift and wow. all the, all the things with 
with all the surgery. So I am loving life now, though. (laughs) Nice. Oh, and it's 60 outside. Take that top off. Yeah, I was going to say, Jamie, (laughs) you can take a half day and go cruising. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's a wild story. Yeah. So... Yeah, your birthday every year. I don't know. I don't have I don't have feelings about my cancerversary. Like some people know the exact day. So attached I, to it. I, well, Sarah, you are because yeah. it's Valentine's Day. But like for me, I, I forget. I think I was diagnosed on February 4th. I, I, that sounds right. Uh-huh. But it'll blow by yeah. me like I didn't recognize it this month. I didn't think about it. <laughs> so I know like yeah. for some people it's like rooted and especially for you two because you guys had holidays right. or, or, you know, special occasions. But for me, I don't I don't know. I don't think about it like super hardcore. Yeah, I I don't know that I will either. Like that night I went to a football game and I mean, like, I think it was Sarah that said like life goes on and well, so I kind of wonder you're you're a social worker by trade. Is it Mm -hmm. because you've kind of dealt in the trauma world? Did you know, like, do you think that helped you? Oh, that's a good question. I think that I have a lot of tools to navigate hard things that some people might not have access to initially. And I, and I don't take that for granted. So that's fair. That's a fair observation. You know, I've, I've done in my training, like learned about my natural strengths and zest for life Mm -hmm. and being a lifelong learner are two of my top ones, which come in handy with a cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we talk about people have a choice to either get better or bitter, it sounds like out of the gate, you're like, Nope, I'm going to be the better camp. Yep. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to go there. Yep. Well, and I think it's that whole, how do I get my agency back? And my agency is in choosing how I respond. I can't handle what I was dealt, but I can control how I respond to it. And so that's where I focus my energy. And how much, I mean, can we all agree your mental state is just everything when it comes to your physical health declining? Like when when your physical health declines, there's, to your point, you don't have control over that, but your mental health becomes everything at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yep. there's so many people out there that have immense physical suffering and they are very mentally strong, resilient and still joyful. Mm-hmm. And likewise, there's people who have oh, every advantage right. physically and, you know, maybe they're very wealthy and they have every yeah. privilege and they're miserable. And it's- I was just I was leaving my yoga class literally yesterday, which was why oh, I put this in my po- my Facebook post, but. This guy was leaving and like totally unprompted. Oh, I think the teacher was like, I hope you enjoyed your practice. Like, and he was on his way out the door and he was like, he just turned to both of us and he's like, aren't we just so blessed that we have these bodies that will move us in the way that we just mm-hmm. moved for an hour. And I was like, oh, you're so right. Uh, thank you for the <laughs> reminder. It's exactly what I needed. And then I bought myself a pair of pants and went on about my merry day. <laughs> Grounded in gratitude, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Grounded in gratitude. I don't think that there's anything that makes you realize all your blessings yeah, you know, more than a cancer diagnosis. It's just nice to have the reminders all around you. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So I want to kind of delve in, Jamie, to your treatment plan and kind of how you navigated treatment and how you decided what was best for you. But before we do that, you guys want to do boobs in the news? Oui, oui. Okay. <laughs> Are you going French on me over there? I am. I just got done watching Emily in Paris. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> boobs in the news is a fun segment where we read funny tweets by real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. So I picked this one, Jamie, because of your work as a researcher at a university, because a lot of your work is around helping kids learn better, correct? 
Yes. And increasing sense of belonging and that, that positive culture in school systems, which does increase learning. Okay. So, yes. All right. So <laughs> complicated answer, but yes. Yes. Well, okay. So I chose this because I was like, oh, it's kind of related. So the, the title of this is the dumbest questions college kids text their parents. Oh boy. <laughs> I, I don't think I would have done this to my parents when I was in college. So maybe we should ask your parents. I know you should. Okay. So this came from an online comedian. And so basically these texts from college freshmen were submitted by parents. So here's some of them. My son texted me to ask if Italian was a language. And then when I told him it was, he said, oh, I thought it was just an accent. What? Okay. Oh what? In okay. The world? Okay. Here. Here. Okay. They said insurance was particularly perplexing to uh-huh. Gen Gen yep, Zers. Yep. My daughter kept referring to her insurance copay as a cover charge, <laughs> which <laughs> might wow. which might indicate that she's spending too much time in the bar. Right. For sure. Right. I'd be like, "Where's all my money going? Is it going to the booze?" Um, all right. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Cover charge, copay. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking that too. Soon. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we we could actually read names. I mean, and we can with, we with, can make going to the doctor like going to the bar. I was gonna say with chemo brain, that's very likely that I'll use that from now on. Yeah. <laughs> so a driver pulled in front of us, and my son screamed, "Quick, press the honk button!" Oh, <laughs> I guess boy. they're no. just used to everything being a button no. nowadays. Yes. My daughter asked what blinker she should use to go straight. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> This one woman said her son was getting ready for college and she heard him go, Ugh, I need to get a pap smear. <laughs> Gosh, I hope not. Uh, my my kid asked me if she had a live birth. Oh. I know. Yeah. So the funny part, let's see if there's any more. My college freshman asked me if the Pink Panther was a lion. Hmm. Oh, my daughter thought so she her, her daughter was living independently for the first time, and she goes, my daughter thought that the Brita pitcher refilled itself with the humidity from the refrigerator. Oh, no. And the last one was, my daughter asked me how I make the pancakes round. <laughs> so these, this, this is what higher education... <laughs> this, you know what, is I, I, this, I remember, this is why Jamie's needed. I remember, Jamie's research is desperately needed. I remember my brother texted me when he first went to college, and I was off on my own now because he's my younger brother, but he texted me, and he he goes... So I've plugged in because at the time, I don't remember if he, he oh, we had dial up internet because we were a country family, but he plugged in his computer thinking he would just get dial up internet if he plugged it into the like phone jack. Uh-huh. And he's like, why does my phone, why does my internet not work? It's plugged into the phone jack. And he had no idea that you had to pay for that. Oh, yeah. Every, yeah. That was before everything felt so free. Free. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. Wow. Well, he did, clearly you're the techie out of the two of you. For sure. Yeah. You're definitely the techie out of the two of us. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's funny. There's your boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. All right. So we're back. So originally, Jamie, you were told you had DCIS, right? Yes. And they were recommending a hysterectomy kind of out of the gate because you had had other issues, which hysterectomies are recommended fairly often, I feel like. Yeah. And did you have did you have your ovaries removed or was it just your uterus? Just my uterus. And it was not related, actually, to the cancer diagnosis. It was actually scheduled before I even knew I had cancer. Oh, okay. Uh All right. So you kept your ovaries. So you weren't going to deal with the whole estrogen, no estrogen overnight thing. Right. Okay. And then you decided on a double mastectomy. Was that a hard decision for you to come to? Not in in the sense that take one or two. It was if we're going to take 
anything, we're going to do both. So mm-hmm. it made sense to me to just yeah, take both. Yeah. And then you you originally had spacers put in and you wanted you were going to move to implants. What changed your mind? Yeah, that's Hold so cuz after your d- double mastectomy, your your whole treatment thing changed. You thought you were yeah. only going to be dealing with surgery because you were DCIS. Yep. And uh. then and then you had your double mastectomy and this happens a lot. Like women are have it in their head, I'm DCIS. Uh-huh. I'm done. That's how I went into yeah, it. Yep, Sarah went into say. it that yep. way and then you wake up and the pathology comes back and they say, "Oh, we found yep. some additional disease. You're yep. now stage 1 or stage 1A and now treatment's back on the table." Yep. So that happened to you first. So you thought Okay, I'm DCIS. I'll have a double mastectomy. I'll move on with my life. That's not how yes. that. That's not how that went. So how did that no. feel? <laughs> that's not how that went for you, sure Jane. <laughs> nope. So when you got that news that you had more advanced disease than they thought, and they were putting treatment back on the table, like how did you handle that emotionally? What did that feel well, like? It was it was wild because it was still I was still pretty fresh from surgery, so not myself. You know, I was still doing the medication regimen, the narcotics, and I remember it was about a three-minute phone call that my husband had to wake me up from a nap for, Mm. and I don't even really remember what was said. It was a lot of things, and here's here's what, but it's going to be okay because we're going to put you on this immunotherapy, and so I I went from stage zero DCI to that cover charge. They called it an upgrade, (laughs) an upgrade to a stage 1A and that I would need to meet with an oncologist to talk about a plan. And she, you know, my breast surgeon was even saying, I don't think you'll need radiation. I think we'll go this route, but we won't know. So then it was a waiting game to get to that. It was another couple of weeks before the oncologist would see me. And you were also told that you were from like when they did the pathology that you were, they found her too, positive. Yep. which before you weren't anticipating that. So that's why they were saying immunotherapy and that you were going to have to do the Herceptin because that originally wasn't on the table either. So Correct. I say all this just because it's super common for women to like think that their treatment mm-hmm. plan is going to go one way. And then lo and behold, it's all of a sudden taking a sharp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people there have been so yeah. many plot twists. <laughs> right. And that's kind of the point of this episode is like to say, OK, you know, how do you adjust and what decisions do you yeah. make? So going back to what Sarah said, you originally you had implants before you got diagnosed with breast cancer yep. and you intended to get them again. So you had the spacers put in at your double mastectomy, but then you started to kind of have questions about whether that's what you really wanted. What was that like? What, how did that kind of transpire? Well, it was really interesting because I, so I breastfed for seven years, breastfed and tandem fed and pumped. I ended up getting implants because I was having a lot of self-esteem issues after I was done nursing all my kiddos. And Ironically, like three years prior to my diagnosis, I started having nipple pain on the side that that had cancer. And I remember Googling it and cancer came up, but I remember I brushed it off because I thought surely it's from pumping and all these other things. And lo and behold, it was it was cancer. And to this day, they still say there's not pain associated with cancer in the nipple. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how I feel about that. but mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard when your lived experience says otherwise. Yeah, yeah. like Well, in the lived I'm... experience of, look how long you breastfed, and they say that to everybody. I did the same thing, thinking it'll lower my risk. and Oh, well, that's yeah. that's an urban myth about, yeah. the, about breastfeeding, and, and I think yeah. they've debunked. They still tell people, though. I know. I think they've debunked <laughs> that at this point. But I think that it makes an interesting point. If they haven't done studies 
mm-hmm. on women who experience nipple pain before breast cancer diagnosis. Like that's how they're basing that. Like, oh, there's no evidence that there's pain with. Yeah. How many studies yeah. do you think have been done about nipple pain related to a breast cancer right. diagnosis? Probably none. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting that your lived experience was different. So you were having nipple pain. You didn't think anything of it or you yeah. thought it was related so- to breastfeeding. You know, and this was just a very, it was a very personal thing, but I had started actually talking with my therapist about wanting to explant before my cancer diagnosis. I had done a lot of work on how I saw myself physically, emotionally, like there was just a lot of heavy lifting I'd been doing on myself as I think we kind of do when we come out of the throes of motherhood, like Mm -hmm. who am I now? What do I want? You know, all these things. And so I'd actually been talking for about a year about wanting them out. And so um, when I got thrown into this diagnosis and the, you know, the, the cattle call that it feels like, you know, you're going to go here, this is your appointment, this is your appointment, this is what we're doing. <laughs> there wasn't time to process that again. So it was like, no, you're going to feel better once you have reconstruction, it'll be fine, you'll feel like a woman again. And so I was stuck in this place of make decisions in a vacuum and still attuned to who who I was becoming for myself before all this happened, if that makes any sense. I I think it does. I I think women who haven't had babies yet and they are being pressured to start treatment as soon as possible. It's kind of the same thing. Like Mm -hmm. you, you feel a lot of pressure to like make decisions very quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a schedule and there's a timeline and you don't really have a lot of time to process. Like you said, Mm -hmm. your feelings about things, Mm -hmm. even, you know, if they're residual, like Mm -hmm. when's the time to think about those things? There is no time. So, so September 2nd, I was diagnosed. October 12th was my double mastectomy. And so in that time, my husband and I, I kind of put it on the table as a worry of mine. I don't know that I'm ready to reconstruct. Like, you know, I've been wanting them out. And so we came to the agreement that it's easier to put them in and make the decision after than to go back in. And that was what my plastic surgeon was comfortable with, you know, so he was very aware that I wasn't hundred percent sure about the spacers. And so you know, my husband was worried about, you know, how I would feel coming out with such a dramatic change and then not having the option. And so we went ahead and had spacers put in. So you had the spacers put in, but obviously you kept thinking about, is this what I really want? Because oh, I actually nagging me. I know. Yeah. Well, you and I had several conversations yes. and you were just like, I don't know, like, I'm not sure this is, you know, what I want. And I mean, it's 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 tough because you're on that continuum of care and you're like, I got to keep moving forward. But Mm -hmm. if you have this nagging sensation that this isn't in alignment with what you want, it's really tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so that's right. We did talk on the phone before I even met you and I poured my heart out to you about not wanting boobs. (laughs) And I said, that's okay. You don't have to have them. (laughs) Totally normalize it for me. So I made it through one round of fill or whatever they call it when they Mm -hmm, put the saline in. And I, I was so miserable, more so emotionally than physically. It felt like I, like a betrayal to myself almost. And I, I don't want that to sound dramatic, but it was like I wasn't listening to myself mm-hmm. and I was going through the motions. I only made it through one round and then I was like, abort the mission. <laughs> <laughs> done. I'm done. <laughs> so you, fi- I, yeah, you finally uh, decided you're like, I, this is not what I want. Is that? Yes. I mean, yes. was that empowering that was, or was it scary? Oh my gosh, you guys, this was such a Goliath moment for me. Uh, I'll probably remember this conversation more than some of the others in this journey, but I went in and I I made an appointment with my plastic surgeon and I went, I called ahead of time to tell the nurse what I was going to tell him so that 
there was some accountability and support so that if he felt blindsided, I didn't backpedal. Uh-huh. Um, so I called ahead of time was like, look, this is what I'm going to come tell him. Can I still hold the appointment? I just want to have a conversation. And she was very supportive. And it was a really interesting conversation that I, I think I'm still processing even after after all of it's done. But it was so empowering. I was scared. I was trembling. I was crying. I was I was angry. You know, like, I, I think I finally felt a lot of the emotions that you don't have time to feel in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and your, like... <laughs> your doctor was, he wasn't intentionally insensitive, but didn't he kind of allude to the fact that he thought you were making a mistake or did I make that yes. up? Yes. Okay. Yes. Actually, I... all of, actually, all of my doctors told me I'd regret it. <laughs> so that was kind of a pivotal decision for you. You were also, you know, HER2 positive. So they were talking to you about chemotherapy, but you opted not to do that. And You and I have talked kind of why you decided not to do that based on your previous medical history and your own feelings. But how did that kind of transpire? Yeah, well, again, I every there's been so many plot twists in my short little six months (laughs) dealing with this. And so when we sat down with the oncologist, I didn't even know chemo was going to be put on the table. It was only the Herceptin was what my breast surgeon had told me Mm -hmm. and maybe radiation. And when she sat down, she said, chemo, Herceptin, no radiation. So it's like processing all of this in real time. And for people listening, just so you guys know, like if you're HER2 positive, you're going to need a year of infusions and that's the Herceptin. But that is separate than the chemotherapy that they typically give you once you're diagnosed. So, yep, it was like 12 weeks of chemo and then 21 cycles or a year of Herceptin after that. Right. Yeah, it was what was prescribed. And so I it was a low recommendation for chemo. And I asked my oncologist what she would do. And she paused and she said, I would do everything I can to be here for my kids. And so I took that and I sat with it and I defined what that meant to me and I made a different decision. And so I said no to the chemo. And that comes from a place of historically, I do not do well with anesthesia. I don't do well with medications. Um, I have one good kidney. There's mm-hmm. just a lot of factors. Like I know my body I've, I've been doing, I've been doing the work to just to tune and understand and kind of honor what I think my body needs knowing and considering risk benefit. I was scared to death to do chemo and I don't say that lightly. And so we made a plan to move forward with starting Herceptin pretty quickly thereafter. They waited for me to heal from I had just had the spacers removed. So it was three surgeries in 12 weeks in the fall. Mm. And then I started at the end of December with my loading dose of Herceptin. And that didn't go according to plan either, did it? <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> Plot twist again. There you go. So you get yes. the, you know, so so this is kind of like, this is your treatment plan, right? Like, so your treatment yeah. plan is a double mastectomy yeah. and you're going to get these 12 months of infusions and this is going to be your treatment plan. You had a reaction, right? I had a nasty Nasty react. Yeah. And and my doctor was super happy with the plan. She didn't put pressure on me with the chemo. She said, you know, it would just be an extra precautionary thing. And so we were good. We were moving forward. And I had a really violent reaction (laughs) to to it. Which you're prone to. You're prone to reactions. So yes. (laughs) I mean, it's you warned them. You're right. (laughs) You're like, see, this is what happens when I take medicine. Look at me. Look at my face. Yeah. Because what happened? So I looked like a leper, like open sores, pus filled sores, my entire face, neck, back and chest. So incredibly nauseous. 
and headaches really bad. And it just came on so quickly. And so she threw in a script for like antibiotics and clindamycin and, and all these things. And then we were chasing that with things to help with the nausea. And then finally, before my next treatment, I said, will you please just look at the pictures? I don't, I don't think this is the normal rash that you warned me about. And when she saw them, she said, oh yeah, that's not normal. We're stopping treatment. Yeah. She talked about bringing chemo back on the table since you couldn't do the Herceptin, right? And you were like, uh, I mean, and I yeah, would have yeah. thought that, that the reaction to the Herceptin would have been confirmation that chemo would not have been. <laughs> right. Chemo might right. not, chemo might not go well. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, I'm telling you, if chemo ever gets put on the table, which that there's a chance of that, I, I don't know what I'm going to do because she did say, she said, I will give it to you. You know, your body. <laughs> I said, you just complimented me. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she, so she moved me to surveillance and we did the blood test that she was planning to do after the year of treatment. I think it's also important for, you know, our listeners to understand, obviously, you know, your body really well and, and we know you and you are doing things outside yes. of of the traditional treatment. Right. Well, yes. so you're you're incorporating integrative practices to try to help your body as much as possible, right? So what are yeah. some of the yep. things that you've decided to incorporate into your treatment plan? So right when I was diagnosed, I got into an integrative facility and started two times a week with high dose vitamin C and I'd immediately jump into a hyperbaric chamber. I was doing I've been doing red light flare uh, therapy which reduces inflammation in the body, paying really close attention to diet. So limiting, you know, sugars, gluten, really just trying to pour nutrient dense things into my body. And then on top of that, all my social work and positive psychology background, I spent a lot of my time journaling, intentional gratitude, seeking laughter, making music lists that poured into me. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel powerless in the cancer mm -hmm. experience, but there's so much you can there's do. There's so much that you can do and you really should. You're you should be an active participant in your care. You know, it's yeah. not yeah. you're not a passive victim. There are things well, it's you can your do. Life. Like it's not even just the care for your cancer. I think it's like adopting things that you're going to forever take into your future that are just going to become a part of you. Before we close out, let's hear from our second sponsor. It's important to have a primary care doctor that you can count on. At BJC Healthcare, world-class and compassionate primary care providers are ready to see you at offices close to home. And you can count on BJC to make it easy with convenient online scheduling, virtual visits, and direct messaging. To find a BJC primary care provider near you and to schedule an appointment online, visit bjc.org forward slash primary care. So, Jamie, you were a professional boxer in your prior life, which I think I saw that like early on when you came through. And I well, was it like, stood this out. girl is going to be out. awesome. I was like, ooh, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but can you just tell us a little bit more about that? And just anybody who's listening, I think it's just like a good takeaway for today. Yeah. How did boxing set you up for breast cancer? I'm curious. There's so many analogies and parallels between boxing and breast cancer. I, one, boxing's terrifying. It takes... <laughs> It, it takes commitment. It takes fortitude. It takes bravery. It it takes so many things that it takes to get through, you know, a cancer journey. And so I actually had a friend reach out to me when I was diagnosed and he used the analogy of being called to the ring and that I have mm. people that love me watching me and cheering me on. But at the end of the day, I'm the one that's got to step into the ring and do the work. Oh, I just and, got chills all over my yeah, body. Oh, I, I had it written on it. And he said, 
you know, not only are they watching, but your children are watching, you know, go go fight. And I like sobbed when I read it because it was exactly what I needed to hear. So that, I mean, that's what I did. I really, I really just took all of that experience and I poured it into this journey that I've been on. Oh, I have like chills. (laughs) So anything you want women to know that are listening when they're trying to make treatment decisions, Jamie, is there anything that you want them to hear from you? I just want to reiterate, find your agency, find those things you can control and pour them into yourself, shut out the noise. So gather the information, but at the end of the day, turn off the noise and attune to what your gut saying, what you feel is right, what you and your family feel is right, because people are going to have opinions any way you slice this. And what matters at the end of the day is showing up for you and pursue joy wherever you can find it. Joy is happiness liberated. It's an internal journey and it's life-giving even in the depths of really hard times like cancer. Oh Oh, gosh. Motivational speaker. Everybody listening is going to be like, today's going to be a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Jamie, for being on. We appreciate you. You guys are awesome. Talk to you later. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for being a listener of the Besties with Breasties podcast. If this podcast had a positive impact on your journey, leave us a review or consider becoming a supporter. You can donate with the link in the show notes or at faiththroughfire.org. This episode was hosted by Sarah Hall and Beth Wilmus, audio and production edits by Innovative Frequencies.